0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Welcome back to the and Think Podcast Network, We're brought to you by Yak Gadget. for all your fine quality kayak fishing accessories. Go to yakadgett.com. Pelican cases, coolers, and lighting. Go to pelican.com and the 153 Cape Company for all your hard and soft techniques. Go to the 153angler.com. So join with me as together we to dive into the tips and techniques that will help make us better anglers out on the water. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Bass Fishing for Noobs here on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. I am your host, Sean Lavery. Thank you again for joining me this evening. Um, Well, tonight we're continuing on on our kind of back to the basics uh, series that I've been kind of working on. And tonight uh, uh, I was looking for a guest to talk uh, about uh, fishing line because um, that can definitely make or break uh, the techniques that uh, you're trying to learn uh, so I wanted to have uh, a guest on, and I happened to uh, come upon uh, Tim Moore when I was uh, doing some research, and I found an article that he had written uh, about line choice. And I reached out to him, and uh, he was gracious enough to uh, come on tonight with us. So, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Mr. Tim Moore. Welcome to the new show, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, Sean. No problem, man. Um, so. Uh, for any of the folks that who uh, aren't familiar with you, why don't you just uh, tell them who you are, uh, where you're from, and uh, kind of uh, your background in fishing, because it is pretty extensive.
2: Sure. Uh, my name is Tim Moore. I am a full-time fishing guide in New Hampshire. I currently live in Barrington, New Hampshire. Uh, I grew up on the coast in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, so I'm kind of a saltwater guy at heart, but have uh, migrated inland Um, half my time inland and half my time on the salt these days.
1: Um, and, um, what got you into fishing or you've been fishing kind of your whole life?
2: Yeah, it's just something, you know, we did. My dad fished. Um, so my family, uh, my dad's side of the family came to settle in Portsmouth. They came here from the Azores. And so fishing has just always been in the family. And I tell people I'm Portuguese and they're just like, you know, like, a- <laughs> Portuguese. and uh, uh, so I get a good laugh, especially have some of my Portuguese friends. And uh, yeah, so it's fishing has just been something we did. You know, like my grandmother actually raised me. My dad was always around, you know, so he would, you know, we spend weekends together hunting and fishing and when I wasn't with him, um, she, you know, my grandmother, she knew how to fish, you know, a little bit growing up on the wharf, you know, she was, uh, her n- nickname was blinks, which when she was a kid, which is a baby lobster, she spent okay. so much time on her father's lobster boat.
1: Wow. So, That's cool.
2: Yeah. So the ocean and fishing has, has been in my family for quite a long time.
1: That's pretty neat. Um, what kind of, uh, fishing do you guide for, like, uh, what types of fish uh, are you targeting?
2: Uh, so I guide in, in kayaks. I'm a member of the Old Town Pro Staff. So I guide in, in Old Town kayaks for stripers and I do some smallmouth bass, bass trips. I live on a small lake, uh, in Barrington, New Hampshire that has no public access. So it has, you know, relatively decent, you know, giant smallmouth, but you know, I've, I've, um, talked to a neighbor that caught a six pounder,
1: Uh, Okay,
2: but it's a pretty small, I don't remember how many acres it is. It's pretty small. Um, you know some some lakes uh, call it it's called Nippo some some lakes call it Nippo Lake and some uh, maps call it Nippo Pond so it really is just a more of a big pond. Okay. Uh, and there's some largemouth in there too. So I do some um, guiding there. I've done some some guiding in kayaks um, and fishing for smallmouth up on Squam Lake, which if nobody's familiar with Squam Lake, the 1981 movie I think it was on Golden Pond was filmed on Squam Lake in New Hampshire. So, Interesting. so a, lot of, a lot of history up there, but it's a good smallmouth lake. And then I guided my boat for um, lake trout and salmon and crappies.
1: Cool. And I, I think you mentioned, mentioned um, that uh, while we were talking prior to starting with the recording, that uh, your seasons are starting to wind down a little bit, I guess, um, for this year, uh, maybe have about a month left for some of the things.
2: Yeah, the the striper fall run still going on. I don't I don't usually guide for striped bass and kayaks um, in the month of September, only because September is really good um salmon trolling and lake trout jigging it's just, it's just a phenomenal month for jigging lake trout on Passaki, and that's what i spend the bulk of my time most of my clients you know want to go up there and it's just really hard i'll spend you know 10 days on Lake Passaki, and somebody wants to go fish for stripers and i'm like geez i haven't fished in 10 days you know so it doesn't seem fair so i stopped a couple years ago i stopped guiding for stripers in september but there are still some fish around it's been a tough season with all the rain Uh, We've had a ton of rain here in New England. July was, I think, one of the wettest Julys on record Uh, in August. That went well into August. Lake Winnipesaukee is is 45,000 acres. And generally, um, mid-August, we see about an average 15-inch low. It's 504 feet above sea level. So that's that's considered full. And we're usually about 15 inches below that, which is pretty typical for August between, you know, the the dam. There's there's a dam that only raised a level five feet, but it's a hydro dam. So they'll release water to generate power. And the lack of rain just from normal summers, we're about 15 inches low. And this year, mid-August, we were five inches high. Okay, wow. And so – yeah, the area that I got strippers in is in the Piscataqua River, which is right at the entrance to Great Bay. And for those that are not familiar, Great Bay is the second largest inland estuary on the East Coast. It's 10 miles inland of the Atlantic Ocean, but it's 6,500 acres. Wow. Empties and fills twice a day, every day. And there are six major freshwater rivers that dump in there, though. So every time we get a lot of rain, two days later, it's just... Dumps in there and washes all the big fish out, and it literally looked like the color of root beer all summer. It's just such a tough season that you know, I just, I just feel bad, you know, taking money from clients when I know that the fishing is going to suck.
1: Yeah, that, that I they? mean, it's I'm sure, yeah, it puts a hurting on your business too. I'm sure uh, it's hard to get repeat customers when, um, but I'm sure when you they they got to understand too, um, that it's been a year probably unlike many others. So yeah,
2: when I tell people that I don't suggest it, I tell, you know, people inquire and if I don't recommend it, I'll just tell them I don't recommend it, you know, just because the fishing has been off and I'll take you if you really want to go. But I'm just being honest, it's going to be tough. And they're usually pretty grateful and they'll reschedule for the next year. They'll say, you know, what what month should I go? And I usually tell people June is a really good month. Okay. Typically, as long as we don't get a lot of rain. It's when the fish first show up and they're hungry and they're new and there's a lot more new fish coming all the time. So.
1: Now, when you say um, that it it fills and empties twice a day, is is that considered tidal fishing then? Or okay, it is. sometime yep. I'm going to have to have you back on to talk about that too, because that's one thing I've always wanted to understand and never had a really good explanation of uh, is fishing tidal waters like that. I mean, I've uh, fished it a little bit, like up and down the coast, like North Carolina and um, uh, Maryland, Delaware, when we go on vacation. But I wouldn't say I have really any g- great grasp of when i should be going and when i shouldn't and i know there's a lot to it so
2: yeah and it varies depending on you know what part of the country you're in you know being as north as we are we see tidal swings as six to eight foot tidal swings you know so it'll be you know eight feet deeper at high tide than it was at low tide you know you fish florida and they get like a 15 inch tide right there's a a big tide and you know closer they get to the equator the, the smaller the tides are
1: I remember uh, on my honeymoon, I went to the uh, Bay of Fundy in uh, in Canada, and uh-huh. uh, I forget what the tidal swing was, but all I know is when I got off the cruise ship, I walked down the plank, and when I got back on, I walked up the stairs. It was yeah, it was huge. Yeah, there are places like
2: Alaska that see like twelve foot tides too. Really yeah, like The further away from you get the, from the equator, the the bigger your tides are going to be. Crazy, yeah.
1: Well, cool, man. Well, um, uh, like like I said when I introduced you, I, I kind of came across you when I was uh, researching the the topic of fishing lines, um, and I found an article that you had written for a publication. I can't remember off the top of my head what that publication was, but uh, my um, uh, Facebooks talked to you a little bit, and I was like, hey, I'm going to shoot him a message and see if you'd be willing to come on to talk about fishing lines. So,
2: sure, yeah. On um, full disclosure, you know, I don't consider myself a bass fishing expert. I do guide for bass, so I guess I I should consider myself a little bit of an expert. But um, you know, we keep I keep it simple, and I I I offer guided bass fishing trips when bass fishing is the easiest. You know, in May and June. Okay. Um, but you know, I and I we I do you know we do well catch a lot of fish, and I do know a little bit. But I fish with some of my friends that fish tournaments and stuff, and they'll be switching out they'll have specific rods and specific lines for specific baits and I don't get quite that fancy but fish the line, you know, I, I may have even mentioned in that article because it's it's kind of held true for me over the years, your line is your only connection to the fish. You right. can have you know, you can have a seven hundred dollar spinning rod. And if you have an eight pound smolly attached to the other end of that line with, you know, a two dollar spool of line you're going to get what you
1: pay for. so <laughs> A broken heart, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh, no. So, that, yeah, um, that's fine because uh, I'm sure, you know, line choice has to pay, uh, you know, is important in all types of fishing, whether it's salmon or, you know, that kind of thing, too. So um, I guess just to get started, um, I knew in the article you talked about, you know, the main different kinds of line choices. Um, so we'll say um, we'll start off with I guess would you start off with mono would you say that's the most kind of common for the beginner
2: I would say so yeah I mean you go buy a pre-spooled rod combo at you know Walmart or your local tackle shop and it's going to have most of the time it's going to have factory spooled will be mono that's what most people buy it's what most people learn on it's it's easy it's in effect inexpensive and 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 effective but uh, certainly has its drawbacks, you know, when you're fishing certain things and one of the most or two of the most important things that I usually tell people a monofilament is that it stretches more than any other fishing line and it absorbs water over time. So it will actually begin to sink the longer you fish with it. So if you're fishing top water over time, you know, that monofilament could, will, will tend to sink, um, uh, and could pull your, pull your lures down a little bit.
1: Interesting. Interesting. I, uh, I think, I mean, I've, i heard about using mono for top water, um, um, for the reason that it floats. And it's interesting to hear that, uh, that it does absorb water over time. I don't think I knew that. Um, I always assumed that it would pretty much float the whole time or most of the time.
2: Uh, yeah. interesting. Um, yeah. just a stretch factor. Um, you know, growing up on the salt, <laughs> uh, being deep sea fishing with my dad, you know, he... He's a lot of his friends fished straight 50 pound monofilament on their cod fishing setups. And he would fish Dacron with about uh, which is just a braid, you know, heavy braid. He fits like 80 pound Dacron with a 50 pound monofilament leader. And he would catch, he'd outfish all of his buddies on the boat. And so one day he tied a, they tied a uh, 16 ounce Norwegian jig onto one of the, one of the rods with monofilament on it and at 180 feet they measured 22 inches of stretch or 20 inches of stretch before that lure even started to move
1: that's crazy
2: 180 feet of monofil- 50 pound monofilament you know versus you know dacron or you know now we use a lot of braid lines mm-hmm. um a little more high-tech braid with no stretch so that's one of the huge advantages to monofilament or braid versus monofilament but Better sensitivity and no stretch isn't always the best thing. Sometimes you need a shock absorber. You know, when I fish for crappies in the fall, I fish I fish monofilament because we want that stretch. We fish light line, and their mouths are so thin and so sensitive that if you fish braid with a leader, fluorocarbon leader, there's almost no stretch there. And, and you'll you have to really be careful, and especially with clients that don't fish a lot, monofilament is the key to um and to hook up success and keeping those fish on because it offers some stretch and some shock absorption and same thing with trolling my um, downrigger rods i know a lot of people run straight braid they like the sensitivity of the braid i like the shock absorption you know we're running two and a half miles an hour two to two and a half most of the time pulling lures when a fish hits those and that i run the 12 pound monofilament on my main line then i run up 50 feet of fluorocarbon and that, that mainline will act as a little bit of a shock absorber too. And it's preference, you know, like I said, a lot of people prefer braid. And maybe it's what they learned on. Maybe it's they had, you know, a good day. And it's like, like a any lure, you gain confidence in it. And that's what a lot of people will tend to stick with. But those are the things to remember with, with monofilament is do you want stretch or no stretch? And when I say absorb water, it, it does take quite a while for them to absorb water. And I don't think most... Most bass anglers don't experience that because they switch rods so often. You know that their line, everything has a chance to kind of dry out a little bit, and nothing really gets too waterlogged. But yeah, that is something to remember if you're if you're fishing. You know, if, if all you do is fish top water, you might want to stick with something that floats a little better.
1: Right. So uh, pros for mono would be it's cheap, um, yep. and um, I guess uh, line stretch if you want it. Um, so like you said, there's some baits, depending on like, I know I've heard potentially um, treble hook baits, you know, it, it will let the, let you have a little bit more play and allow the fish to, you know, fight a little bit, you know, maybe wear them down a little bit more than, you know, just, it, it depends, I guess, if you're, if you have a moderate action rod, that's going to allow you to fight a little bit too uh, without, uh but if you have like a broomstick rod, then you, you might want a little bit of line with some stretch in it, but. But definitely, yep. the downsides are again that it stretches, and uh, like you said, I guess uh, after some time that it will absorb water and and lose that floating ability. So,
2: yeah, and it's also another con with monofilament is that the refractive index is it does bend light. That's why most people go to fluorocarbon. It's less stretch, but most people will will choose fluorocarbon uh, because it has almost the same refractive index. So, monofilament will bend light. Okay. Uh, whereas fluoro has this, almost the same refractive index as water, I should say, so it doesn't bend light, so it, it's almost invisible to fish. So, you know, when uh, like when like when a Pisaki, I don't know very many f- people that fish monofilament because the water's crystal clear, and there's okay. there's a ton of of light penetration in that water, and monofilament does refract, does bend light, so it tends to show up more to those okay. spe- you know fish that are highly pressured, and they get line shy. Most people will fish either straight fluoro or braid with a fluorocarbon leader to avoid the the you know the visibility of monofilament. of uh, monofilament. okay
1: yeah no I was just gonna say that that uh, if you're looking for uh, or fishing in crystal clear water you almost are forced to go to fluorocarbon at that point or at least a fluoro leader because uh, um, yeah definitely fish are going to be a little more line sensitive at that point whereas down here in PA where I am, Most of our water isn't super clear, Uh, especially right now with all the rain and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Our water clarity is just finally starting to come back a little bit. Uh, I fish the Susquehanna River. It's about 15 minutes from my house. And, uh, you know, normally this time of summer, it is pretty crystal clear. But right now with, you know, the hurricane rains and the flooding and everything that we've had recently, it's just now getting relatively back to some level of clarity um but definitely not clear yet uh i was out yesterday and i think i had maybe two foot of visibility max so which you know normally i can usually see at least five feet uh, most of the time but
2: yeah.
1: so uh all right so that's mono um we we talked about flora a little bit so i guess that might be a good next step um so, pros and cons of fluoro.
2: Um, well, pros are the visibility or lack of for fish. You know, it, like I said, it has this almost the exact same refractive index as water. So, it, it basically virtually disappears in water, especially to fish. Uh, it has less stretch than mono. So, if you're looking for sensitivity and you don't want to run braid, uh, fluorocarbon is certainly a good option. It does sink. Um so you know, depending on on what you want it to do, um, you know how you're going to fish it. You may not want to fish it. That's why I think a lot of people will fish um, braid to fluoro if they need um, they need to um, hide their line a little bit from those you know from line shy fish. They'll they'll run braid to to uh, fluoro. Cons, I would say. Um, well, it pro is it's pretty most of most fluorocarbon is pretty abrasion resistant resistant but once you do get a nick or a fray or a hot spot in it it's almost sure to break when you put put it under pressure like any you know you you'll see me my clients will will ask me after a while if, of vertical jig and lake trout every fish that comes in before i drop their lure back in the water for them I take my hand and i run it down the leader to the lure you know 18 inches or so and just feel it Cause they'll, the lake trout will twist up and they'll get the line, will wrap around their face and through their mouth and they'll nick that fluorocarbon. If there's any nick in there, I just break it. I just cut it right off and retie, you know, and they're always like, what, what are you, what are you doing? It wasn't broken. And I'm like, yeah, I had a little tiny nick I could feel in it. And it's, you know, your line's never going to break on a, on a two pound fish. It's always going to break on a 10 pound (laughs) fish. You need every bit of the line's capability. So it's, if you get do get a nick or a fray in fluorocarbon, you know, it, it's, it's more expensive. So I think people will tend to try to push their luck a little bit because they don't want to. And it's also, you know, depending on what knot you use, it's a, it can be a pain in the neck to tie that leader to braid connection. And so a lot of people, if they haven't got a, a knot down really well, then they'll, they might resist retying, but if it gets a fray or a nick or even a hot spot, you know, one of the keys with tying knots in fluorocarbon is to wet it, you know, a little bit of saliva I've heard of some people carrying chapstick. I've I read a lot. I've read more about it than I've ever seen it. I, know, I don't see anybody that actually uses chapstick to lubricate their knots. Most people just, you know, put a little saliva on it and slide the knot down. But it's definitely, I mean, you take a fluorocarbon knot and cinch that thing tight without any lubrication, and then give it a good yank. It's going to snap almost every single time. Just so that the heat, that the friction of tightening that knot down will weaken the fluorocarbon. It does get weak pretty fast and. I do a lot of vertical jigging so or striper fishing in around the rocks and smallmouth fishing in around the rocks and i go through a ton of leader material in the spring when i run smallmouth trips because they're right in the rocks you know right. and if they are not and if they're not they take you right into the rocks and we go through a pile and there's rock bass which do a number on it they they're always running the leader around down you know running your lure around in the rocks down there and fraying up leaders and so,
1: I uh, it's definitely something I've I've had to learn the hard way over the years because I um, not so much that I w- didn't know how to tie the knots but I was just lazy I would even I'd run my hand up and down I'm like ah, eh, that doesn't feel too bad and I'd end up paying for it um, so uh, they're definitely something I, I kind of learned uh, you know relatively quickly was that uh, if you have any question or doubt about uh, a nick, you should retie, uh, cut and retie because, uh, yeah, you're going to pay for it eventually if you don't. Um, but uh, one thing I was wondering about uh, that I'd heard and kind of experienced a little bit was line memory. Uh, would you say fluoro is better or worse than mono uh, with line memory?
2: Um, oh, it's come a long way. You know, traditionally, I think the, the ID... The impression was that it had more memory than monofilament um i think a lot of the a lot of the fluorocarbons that are available today they've come so far with them that they have a lot less memory they're softer than they've ever been i mean you know i use the Dioa j4o and, and it's such amazing luck with that stuff that, you know it'll have a little bit of memory and within you know the first couple of minutes of fishing it, it's, the loops are all gone, and, and the memory you know, comes right out of it. So you know you,
1: can, you get what you pay for. I was just going to say that uh, you know when you said there's lots of different types out there, I I wholeheartedly agree that you definitely get what you pay for. Yeah, and uh, I've I've tried lots of different kinds now, and and the cheaper stuff definitely does tend to have a little bit more memory. And um, but if you buy you know anywhere from moderate to expensive uh fluoro uh i don't think uh, line memory is a problem so much anymore um especially like i use mostly mostly fluorocarbon for fluorocarbon for leader material and at that point it's such a short uh distance of it like i usually do uh double my rod length is usually my leader length um uh and then i kind of as i cut and retie i you know whittle it down until i get, if i get to start getting down to around like four to five feet i'll just cut it off and retie a new double rod length on
2: yep same uh, here
1: cool all right so uh for fluorocarbon pros are that it sinks which i was going to talk about like uh, if you're throwing crankbaits or stuff uh, i've heard like kevin van Dam saying uh you know fluorocarbon's best for that kind of thing because it'll allow you to get the maximum depth out of your crankbaits and and stuff like that. Um, I've never run straight flora before. Um, uh, uh more f- for budget wise than anything else, but, uh, um, I, I, I I'm curious to try it and I probably will at some point on my crankbait rod just to see, uh, what the difference is. Um, right now I still run braid to leader even on my crankbait rod. So, um, I just tend to maybe make the leader length a little bit longer on that. Uh, just to make casting a little easier
2: yep same here i don't the only rods that so i run pretty much exclusively run braid to a floral leader on everything except my ice fishing rods and the my fall crappy fishing rods which are ultralights with you know just like uh, six pound monofilament on those so like i said i want that little bit of stretch um, and the, the area where I crappie fish is of Lake Winnipsock is, is actually a little bit more stained, so we don't have to worry about line clarity as much.
1: And are you mostly vertical fishing for crappie at that point? Or are you? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, because I, I think when you take kind of the casting out of it, you know, then you really, there's some things that you aren't as worried about uh, if you don't have to worry about casting distance and stuff like that. So.
2: Yep yeah i i just i really like the sensitivity of braid uh, you know i'm kind of the black sheep in my in my fishing circle because i don't fly fish I, okay. i've gotten enough to know how much i dislike it <laughs> and the reason i dislike it i actually had a client say this and it i you know i've i've tried to explain to people what i don't like it and i've never really been able to come up with a, a way that best describes it but the thing I like most about fishing is that connection to the fish, feeling the bite, setting the hook, feeling every, you know, I mean, I was jigging lake trout this morning in 130 feet of water and you could literally feel it when my, when my lure would, I would drop down and it would bounce off the top of a fish cause they're just, they're stacked right now. There's hundreds of fish down underneath you, you know, every day. And you could literally feel it bouncing off the top of these fish as it, as it goes down through them. The difference between like that was a bite and that was just a bounced off of one, like, that's why I like braid, you know, and that's, that's, so I fish it. I like that connection. You know, it's just a preference thing for me. It, it makes fishing more fun. So almost, almost everything I do is, is braid to floral leader, except like I said, ice fishing, uh, I run mono on my ice fishing rods. We're in 30 feet or less and then in for crappie and through the ice and uh, and then for crappies, you know, monofilament, but.
1: Interesting. It's just so me. when you, I've never, Caught a fish on a fly rod. I've I've went to casting demonstrations and stuff and casted them. So, what's different about fly fishing? Then you you gen- generally don't feel the bite. You're just watching for a line movement. Or I, think, uh,
2: I mean, I, I'm I'm not I, by no means. I think I fly fish three three times. I've had three friends try to teach me because they all believe that it was just I didn't have the right teacher, so they try it and they usually send me for my spinning rod within like thirty minutes. <laughs> One of them, the last time, he said. He was just standing there staring at me and I said, what? We've been fishing for like 30 minutes. And he said, you look miserable, number one. And number two, you haven't had a fly on the end of your line for like 20 minutes. He's like, that, that cracking noise that you hear when you're back cast, it's not supposed to happen. And you whip the fly right off. So uh, I, from what I gather and what they try to teach me is there is a lot of sight to it. You're watching your line. You're watching your rod tip. Um You're watching the fly you're watching the water reading the water i mean it's definitely don't get me wrong i don't take anything away from the art you know and the skill level involved in fly fishing it is you know it's it's mastery you know it's definitely there's something to be said you can't take anything away from a a skilled fly fisherman or someone that loves it to begin with but um it's just not for me right i love to feel the bite it's sort of like uh, I'm a hunter and I turkey hunt and people ask me why I don't bow hunt for turkeys, you know, cause I, I'm known for, I used to guide for turkeys and I'm known for putting my decoys like 25 yards in front of my blind and people are like 25 yards, you're going reach 50, 60 yards. I'm like, yeah, I like it when they're in close. And they're like, why don't you bow hunt for them? And I say, cause I like shooting them. You know, mm-hmm. it's, for, it's like setting the hook on a fish for me, you know, setting the hook on a fish is, is, you know, the same thing as pulling the trigger on a turkey. It's just that excitement level. Every single time I do it, it just never gets old
1: right no i i feel you there uh I've, I've hunted for turkey a few times uh never successfully so um i've had you know just the rush of hearing one gobble <laughs> relatively close by um
2: yeah.
1: but um but no i i mean you like what you like and i yeah. like like you said it's not to take anything away from fly fishermen i it's something i will try eventually um i just don't have the time to devote to you know i'm i have enough trouble mastering regular fishing at this point so I don't need to up the degree of difficulty yet. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, like I said, sometime, you know, I, it's definitely something I want to try, but at this point, uh, I'm not quite there yet. So no yeah. no hard feelings, I don't think. So, so cool. I guess, uh, so we talked about mono, we talked about floral. Um, we've kind of been going back and forth about braid, but, you know, so benefits of braid. Um, we talked about increased sensitivity, um, no stretch, zero stretch. So you know, and I and that's why uh, I've heard it, it's good for uh, pitching and flipping, uh, that kind of thing. Um, what other techniques? Uh, you don't do, generally do spray, straight braid on anything, right? You're braid to flora. Uh,
2: I am. Uh, <clears throat> I do know some Winnipesaukee anglers, even in that clear water, that run straight braid depending on on what they're fishing. Um, my rods are pretty much always going to already have um, fluorocarbon leader on them. Mm-hmm. and. I go through so much fluoro that there is a point that, you know, I'm like, I can't throw another 10 foot of fluorocarbon away just to run straight braid on this lure. We're going to run fluorocarbon leaders, you know, and as long as clients are catching fish, I don't, I don't give it too much more thought than that. And I don't fish tournaments. So there aren't tens of thousands of dollars at stake or hundreds of dollars at stake. You know, it's my clients and they want to catch fish. And as long as we're putting them on fish, I try not to overthink it, you know, too, too much, but. Another advantage is definitely castability of braid.
1: Absolutely. Um, Question for you: What color braid do you use? Uh, I'm wondering. I'm curious about what color braid people would use in clear water. Uh, Like, I know for me, I generally on like my spinning rods and stuff. If I have a long enough leader, I will use the high vis stuff just so I can see my line a little bit better. but I've seen a lot of people around here that use the like moss green stuff and uh, you know, the, the darker colors as well.
2: Yeah, I think that moss green is just common. You know, when Power Pro first came out, it was green. Mm-hmm. You know, and most of the Power Pros are, are green and there's some colors that have been added to it now, but um, you know, I tell my clients, the fluorocarbon is for the fish, the braid is for the fishermen. And so I run that I run the Daiwa J Braid X8 Grand I love that line. And I run the gray cause I can see it. Um, you know, the inside of my, um, my personal, uh, PDL is gray, dark gray. So I can see that light gray against it so I can tie knots. i I turned 49 this year. So, uh, my eye doctors said you're going to need readers pretty soon. Someday. I wear contacts, you know, yep. most of the time. And so you might want to get some readers, you know, for tying fishing knots and stuff and, I was like, I don't know about that, but um, that, so, you know, I do like, I like that gray. I can see it in the water. Um, and it's just, it's, it's different for me. So it, it stands out. So I've been fishing that light gray j braid, but they make it in, uh, I think they have it in a green. I can't remember what colors, blue. I've seen some blue braid, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm starting to gravitate more towards high vis colors just because I can, I can see them. Um, I, but you know, so with my knots, my, you know, leader to braid knots, I don't really need to be able to see my line as much as I do like with, um, like monofilament, you know, I've gone to more like golds and yellows and monofilament so that I can see them because it's getting harder, especially ice fishing. You know, I fish a lot of like three pound test line and when your hands are cold and the wind's blowing and it's, you get a white background from the ice, it's tough to see three pound test line. It's tough for me to, I can't see it like I used to. Um, right
1: no i'm so. in the same boat i'm i'm 44 but uh the doctor eye doctor are also said i'm wearing contacts right now and she is saying you know readers might not be too far away i think my uh the power on my right eye contact is about as high as it can go she's like you're not going to get much higher so if your prescription gets much worse you might be uh uh either doing one of those hybrid contacts with like the built-in bifocals or something but uh I have yeah. yet to cross that bridge, but uh, it's it's probably relatively close in my near future. So, I uh, yeah. definitely hear you there. So, um, in bringing that up, though, it's a good point that uh, one of the another benefit of braid is the uh, diameter is smaller than um, fluoro. You get the same strength or more for relatively less diameter uh, line diameter, so you can fit more on your spool. Um, like you said, castability mm-hmm. is good. Uh, we talked about no stretch um braid floats uh, i think for the most part right
2: yeah until the air comes out of it okay yep depending on the braid okay you know, when, we, when we um so we've I do a lot of vertical jigging for lake trout right now this in september and when you drop down for the first time the you can we could see our jigs on the on the fish finder i use spot lock in my boat or in my kayak i have i have an autopilot with spot lock and you'll nice. see all the all the bubbles coming off of your braid when you first drop it down there wow so, okay you know once the air comes out of but that's you know 100 feet down
1: okay okay i've never actually heard that that's interesting i've always just assumed that it's wet and you know but that makes sense and it's cool. Yeah, so. right? That's cool. You can actually see that on your fish finder. That's pretty neat.
2: Yeah, yeah. It'll uh, it, sometimes it'll it'll attract fish too. Those bubbles coming off of that braid, will come in to see what what's going on. But like I said, that's deep water. There's a lot of pressure down there, so that'll push that water into the braid, push the air out. Okay. And you know, in shallower water, when we're casting for bass and stuff, it does it does tend to float.
1: Okay. Cool. Um so I, I know some people at least around here I've heard um I've talked to quite a few people and some people for topwater actually prefer braid over uh anything else um I still tend to do braid to a lure or leader sometimes on topwater I'll do mono uh just for mm-hmm. the floating at least a little bit more floating than fluorocarbon um but I usually don't do uh, a couple of guys I talked to are like oh you should do straight braid for topwater and every time i do that if i'm working like a, a walking bait i always get the line wrapped around the hooks almost every time when i'm walking the dog i i don't know if it's bad technique or what but i almost always end up uh you know getting the braid all wrapped around my hooks and yep. uh so that's why i've kind of stuck to uh even on my top water stuff using a at least a mono or, or sometimes even a fluorocarbon leader depending on what i'm throwing if i just tied it on one of my regular rods and don't have a topwater specific rod out with me. Yep.
2: Yeah, yeah. Same with me. Um, that I, you know, one of the things that I like about so most of my most of my spinning reels will have um, thirty pound braid on them, and I can that way I can just change out my leaders and I can you know I can fish for stripers with those, I can fish for bass with those rods, I can fish for vertical jig for lake trout and just adjust my leaders accordingly. That's why I was saying, you know, earlier, like, I don't, I, you know, sometimes I get into a situation where I was striper fishing yesterday with, you know, 20 pound fluorocarbon leaders. And then today I'm fishing for bass or lake trout with eight pound. And I've got to throw those 20 because, you know, yeah. You know, if I was, uh, if I had more time and patience and discipline, I could find a way to save those leaders and wrap them around a pool noodle or something to reuse them later on. But that's, you know, wishful thinking. I don't, I coil them up. And then I forget about them and then I find them and they've been sitting in the sun or they're just, you know, don't look usable or they've been coiled so tight for so long and in the sun, in the heat, you know, I've left my tackle box in my truck or in my boat in the sun and, and, and I don't. So, um, I, I, I will change out leaders quite a bit, but I like the fact that, you know, I can go, you know, the, the thinnest leaders that I run are eight pounds which are about the same diameter as 30 pound braid so it, it goes up from there if i'm fishing 12 pound leaders i get a little bit of that stiffness that definitely especially even vertical jigging prevents a lot of foul hooking and casting topwater for stripers we do a lot of topwater for stripers and smallies and suspended jerk baits, and sometimes even just cat while they cast you know they'll if you don't if you don't lob them just right, they'll, you know, I'll get excited and try to whip one out there as fast as I can. And next thing you know, it's, it's, you know, it's tumbling through the air and it's got line wrapped around it. And I think the stiffer, you know, fluorocarbon leader helps prevent that.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Um, all right. So um, the only other line that I have regularly heard of is copolymer. Have you ever had much uh, experience with that? I, f-
2: I fished, Uh, Co-polymers through the ice for a number of years. Um, Up until, so Clam Outdoors is one of my, is my main ice fishing sponsor. And two years ago they came out, they went to Sunline and had Sunline make a a whole line of monofilaments, fluorocarbons. Uh, But before that I fished, um, well, I can't remember the name of the line. It It was a copolymer, and I really liked it. And I might, Hang on one sec, I might have a spool of it right here, left over. Okay. Yep, uh, I fished p-line, fluoro ice, it's a copolymer.
1: I was just going to cool. say, uh, Brian, uh, one of the other, uh, kind of the OG uh, of the paddle and fin crew, um, he fishes a lot of p-line and I know he, he likes it a lot. Uh, I tried it based off of his uh, suggestion. And I didn't like it as much. Um, I thought it had a little bit more stretch than I really wanted, and um, I, I probably didn't give it its due uh, time. Um, I lost. I uh, just. I think I tried it on a wacky rig or something, and just I could feel just because I was so used to throwing a fluoro leader um, and I was throwing the the p line as my leader, and I could tell a difference in the in the stretch um, just retrieving it. I. Uh, I didn't feel like the it was the same sensitivity that I had with my fluorocarbon, so I bailed on it pretty quick. But um, I definitely know a lot of people who who do like it, like Brian. He uses a ton of it. So,
2: yeah, yeah. My only experience with it is through the ice, and I <coughs> grew up with it. You know, for the years that I used it, um, that sun line is a really good line. So I've been using that the last couple of years. Um, I was happy that they went with it, and it's. I also ran into a a situation where. Um, it wasn't IGFA rated. So I actually, I caught a, a line class world record white perch through the ice with the P line. And it, I sent a section of the line in, i am um, hold my hands up. You can't see them. but I sent the section of the line in like you have to, to register that, that record. And when they tested it, it broke higher than it was rated for.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and so the, the Sun line that I use now is IGFA rated. So regardless of, you know diameter or whatever it's all it's all tested out and to to break so that's one of the reasons that i got away with it because with igfa if you register like mine was a four was the four pound class line test i believe and if it if your line tests out higher then they automatically enter you into the next category but for me the five pound fish was heavier um or the next category up whatever it was i can't remember was heavier so i i missed that record Gotcha. That stinks. Yeah. I,
1: I don't, I don't think I ever heard about that part of, uh, you know, the record process. Is that something that's New Hampshire specific or?
2: No, that's IGFA regulations. So okay. if you submit a, a line class, uh, record to them, you have to submit a section of a tippet or a leader that okay. you actually have to submit the lure with, I think it's two feet of line still attached to the lure. Interesting. And then they, they test it to see it make sure it breaks to if you're entering it in a line class category so i was in the four pound class category i, I believe is what it was and it broke higher than four pounds so
1: i got you. so that's more, in in a line class uh record then that makes sense yeah you would if you're you know obviously if it's a four pound line class then you want to make sure that you're using uh line that, yeah it matches yeah. up with that yeah okay no, that makes a lot more sense. I was like, "Hmm, interesting." I, I was always worried about other things with uh, catching record fish. I don't think I ever would have thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah, it's an IGFA. It's something you you know you don't really think about. I never thought about it until I was like, you know, there's this four pl- four pound um, test line class record for white perch, and we have fish that are as big as that record. Doesn't mean the fish is four pounds. Just means it's the largest one caught on four pound test. Right. We catch fish like that all the time, so I know I can break that record. And so I happened to, you know, that one, one year, once I got that idea in my head, that's pretty much all I thought about. And so I finally caught one that was bigger and submitted it, and the line didn't qualify for four-pound tests, so I did not get the record. Yes. Most of the time, I, I've had, you know, some state records and stuff, and they're, they're all just happenstance. I'm, you know, I just happen to fish and catch one that'll qualify, so I submit it. I'm not a record hunter by any means.
1: Still, though, if you if you know you're regularly catching bass or uh, fish that will break the record, you know right. it's worth taking a shot at getting your name in the books. So. Absolutely, cool, cool. Um, all right, so copolymer. Um, uh, it kind of it, it they sell it as the best of both worlds. That you know uh, it. Uh, I guess uh, it does have a little bit more line. Uh, Uh, visibility than fluorocarbon Uh, it's more like mono at that point because basically what it is is it's fluorocarbon wrapped or mono wrapped in fluorocarbon is that right yeah okay that's that's my understanding of it as well so you're gonna have a little bit more line visibility but um i guess uh strength or abrasion resistance might be better yeah so um if you're in the market to try it it can't hurt to try it um are there any other kind of lines that i've in this place i know tippet is one but i mean most of at least i don't know many people who bass fish you know that's more of a fly fishing thing in my mind
2: yeah no i can't help you with that <coughs> one no, okay
1: <laughs> that's that's a different show someday we'll have a, a fly fishing expert on and he'll explain that to me i know the basics of it that it's a tapering line and that kind of thing but uh yeah, that's, yeah. that's about the extent of my my knowledge about it So those are the four that you would think of off the top of your head? Yeah, yep, for sure. Cool. Um, Now, uh, one of the questions I had was, um, do you change knots depending on the different types of line that you're using, or do you relatively use mostly the same knots?
2: No, I I, um, I change knots depending on how lazy I am that day. And that's the, well, to a degree, uh, depending on how lazy I am and what I'm doing. So my braid, to flora knot, my favorite is the FG knot.
1: Okay.
2: I love that knot. It is a pain in the neck to tie. Um, You know, I've done hundreds of them, and every single time I have to do it, I'm like, ah, here we go. It's just, you know, you have to get the tension on your braid just right. can't be too much tension, but it has to be some tension, and it just, you know, it can be pain in the neck and it's time consuming you know you have 21 wraps you know one line in your teeth and you're trying to see what you're doing and my eyesight isn't that good close-up anymore so it's it's not it's not as much fun I can tie a double uni knot with my eyes closed I don't even have to look when I tie those if I'm casting I will I will bite the bullet and tie that FG knot because it goes through the guides you can't even hear it go through the guides it casts really really well and smooth and my knots don't get beat up. Well uni the uni. you can cast it. It'll go through the knot through the guides. You'll hear it go through the guides. but after you know reel, casting it and reeling it back and forth through the guides after a while, it does get pretty beat up. But vertical jigging, you know if we're in a hurry and you know the lake trout bite or you know we're jigging for smallmouth or whatever, and the bite's good. and I need to tie a leader on really quick and we're not casting. I go right for that double uni knot because it's good and strong. And it takes less, a lot less time. I can tie it much faster than I can tie an FG knot. And if I, if I rush an FG knot, it will pull out. It's just, you know, I don't know what it is I'm doing when I, when I rush it, but you know, it will either, I'll have a tough time getting it to cinch down or it'll pull out on a fish. It'll You know, I'll think I got broke off and I reel it in and there's, there's my, you know, the FG knot tied in the end of the braid with, with the fluorocarbon just pulled right out of it. So it's not that I have to tie one when I have time to tie it. So the uni to uni is a a good, you know, it's a, I call it a utility knot. It's a good, strong knot that holds up well, lubricate the knot really well so it doesn't damage the fluorocarbon and you know, and and you should be good for most applications. It's an easy knot to learn.
1: That is the knot that I use for the most part. Occasionally, if I'm tying knots the night before, um, I'll tie a uh, Alberto knot for my uh, leader knot uh, just because yep. it is smaller, um, it's not as crazy as the FG knot. I've attempted to try that. I have yet to tie it successfully, um, <laughs> but I've <laughs> I've done uh, a bunch of the uh, Alberto knots successfully. Like I said, I'll, I'll tie that the night before uh, if I'm going out. Um, but on the water, I almost always tie a double uni just because I know I can do it. I can do it quick, and for the most part, it lasts. I've had times where eventually the knot did break going through the line or my on my casting rod especially if you have micro guides uh yeah. it, it, it can tend to um be an issue then
2: <clears throat> yeah but, my uh, issues with the fg knot are always pulling it too tight usually you know they teach you, you watch the tutorials and they tell you you know, pull tension on the braid and then wrap the floor around that make your wraps so i would you know i just i'm a i'm a more is better kind of guy if if a little bit of the tension is good, then even more is probably a bit better. And that's not the case at all with that FG knot. You need to be able to. You want that braid to kind of, um, kind of um, wrap in with the fluorocarbon as you make your wraps. So, just enough tension to hold it tight is I found to be the key with that FG knot. So you can get the two wrap, two lines to kind of wrap around. Even though you're only wrapping one, it's kind of wrapping the braid in into the fluorocarbon when you do it, and it should bite down pretty well that way.
1: I always have trouble keeping my wraps from overlapping, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's, that's my biggest challenge with the FG knot for sure. But uh, one of these days I'll, I'll actually take the time to get halfway decent at it. I've watched a million videos. I've watched the kind where they say, Oh, you got to hold this in your teeth and hold this with this. And one guy's like, Oh no, you you shouldn't have to hold anything in your teeth, you know, do it this way, you know? <laughs> yeah. And um, I've tried a lot of different videos. I uh, have yet to find one that, helps me tie it successfully but like i said the Alberta knot uh it's kind of my standby until i get good at that uh and that seems to work for me for the most part it does it's not as small i don't think uh, uh but it is smaller than the double uni so uh tends to work a little bit better for me on i use that on the rods that i have micro guides on most everything else i just tie a, a double uni in because um, i know i can do it quickly and
2: yep. you know for the
1: most part it's pretty solid and secure yeah <clears throat> all right um so that by the only other question i was going to ask you um i know you kind of s- talked a little bit about it but uh what kind of wines do you uh, uh what kind of brands do you do you use most and um if you're sponsored by them that's cool too whatever whatever you guys use um
2: so the last couple of years the last two years i've I just, so I, I fished a lot of different lines for a long time. I fished Power Pro for years because it was just kind of a staple in the industry. And I, you know, I, I tried dio uh, Daiwa Samurai for a while, but um, I found it to be, um, it would fray in the rocks a lot easier. It's such a, it's such a thin I and mean, it's really expensive and it's, it's a really good line. It's so with braids, the most basic braids are either four carrier, or eight carrier, four strand or eight strand. And a four strand is going to be more of a flat profile. So it's really good for vertical jigging, but not as good for casting. And an eight strand will be round. So it casts, that's what makes it so soft. And so like thread-like is that it's, it's round and softer. Uh, so I've been going with an eight strand, for the last few years. And that's what that Samurai was the first strand Braid that I ran, but I, like I said, I just had some trouble with it fraying. I do a lot of vertical jigging and, and it would fray in the rocks and stuff. So I got away with it, but then I was introduced to that Daiwa J-Braid X8 Grand, it's called. And I've had the same line on reels, couple of my, two of my reels, I've had the same line for two summers now, we're just winding down the second summer and it looks like it's brand new. Um, I love it, it's really soft. Um, I've, I go with the light gray cause I can see it, see it pretty well. And, um, I've been running the J Floro. I ran, you know, c for years before that. I got, um, I got a bunch of the, um, J Floro from, from Daiwa. So I've been, you know, just running out on everything cause I have so much of it and I've had good luck with it. I haven't had any, any issues with it at all. And in through the ice, I, like I said, I run all of that, um, frost line is from clam is what i run through the ice just because it's it's good line it's all igfa rated and they have a whole line of monofilaments and fluorocarbons but like i said the blue i ran Seagar blue label they came out with a line this year that a friend of mine a leader material this year i can't remember what it's called but a friend of mine that's a guide a charter captain on for stripers has been running it said it's really really good stuff so a lot of really good fluorocarbons fluorocarbon is the one thing that or not the one thing, but one of the things in the fishing industry that kind of holds true to that, you get what you pay for. You buy cheap fluoro, you're going to get cheap fluoro,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know? Um, in the tattoo industry, they say cheap tattoos aren't good and good tattoos aren't cheap. The same thing goes for, uh, sure. right.
1: yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've been, you know, kind of standardized on Seagar now for a little bit, but I, I will definitely check out the, the Daiwa stuff. Uh, cause I'm always looking for, you know, other stuff. I um, have a few large spools of CR. You know, once I decided, you know, that I liked it and it seemed pretty quality stuff, uh, I, you know, got some of the bigger spools so that I wouldn't have to buy it as often. Um, but um, but definitely I'm always looking for other things to try. So I will check out the J Braid, uh, the uh, Daiwa J uh, uh, yeah, Braid. The
2: J Floro. Yeah, J Floro and J Braid. You can see my uh, where's the wrong hand. You can see that hanging right there is the J braid.
1: <laughs> nice. <laughs>
2: That's my spooling station. In
1: my office. <laughs> it's a coat hanger. <laughs> well, and I'm sure if I mean if if you're having to to put stuff on that clients are using, you're gonna figure out what works and what doesn't a little quicker than maybe even somebody who is just a weekend warrior kind of. You know, if it's something that your kind of livelihood depends on, you're gonna you're gonna know. You want to know what what works and what doesn't so
2: yeah and one of the things that i usually recommend to most people is i put a lot of my own line on now but if, if you can go to a shop that can do machine spooled line and they can spool it for you i highly recommend that and if if cost is an issue tell them to put half of your spool to back it up you know half the spool with monofilament and then because you <laughs> you put 300 yards of line on a reel and you're only casting 150 feet. I mean, you don't need 300 yards of braid. You don't need to pay right. it because most shop, well, if they do bulk spools like that and they spool it, they'll charge by the by the foot or by the yard. And so just tell them, you know, go half monofilament and they'll tie the braid to that. And you'll never see that monofilament until they sp- strip down to re-spool it, you know, whenever you get around to it. So, Because it can cost upwards of 30-some-odd dollars to fill, you know, a 3,000 series spinning reel spool if you went straight 30 pound braid, it can be 30, $40 depending on the braid and the shop that you go to. So it gets expensive. You know, if you bring six reels in, you leave them there, you know, with a pretty, pretty fat bill. A lot of people don't think about it. They're like, Oh, you know, I'm just going to go have my reel real school. And then they're like, that'll be $200, please. And you're like, what? $200. Like, yeah, well, you know, we put, you know, 1500 yards of line on six spools. you know, or whatever it is. So if, if cost is an issue, definitely go have. And the thing with machine mount. Line is that not only is it it's coming off the bulk spool and going onto your spool in, this, in a nice straight way, so you don't get as many line twists right off the bat, but you're only paying for what you put on there as opposed to you buy a 300 yard spool in your line, in your spool, a 300 yard spool of line, and your your real spool will only hold 250. You've bought 50 yards of braid that you'll never, you're never going to use that. Everybody sticks it in a drawer thinking, oh, I'll use that someday. And who's, what do you need 50 yards of braid for? Craft projects? You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. <gonna> <laughs> right no no for sure um that's I, that's true and and i never thought about that like that I, but i i'm sure i have a couple of schools sitting out in my garage right now that are probably yeah. about 50 yards left but interesting <laughs>
2: yep
1: cool man all right well um we're about at the hour mark um one thing i was going to ask you and i like to ask all of my guests who are guides um any, um, what's the most common mistake you see from your customers, uh, like, just general fishing
2: wise, and and how do you correct that? Um, the most common mistake is probably um, not doing what your guide tells you to do. Uh, you know, I, I'm... I'm really good about just demonstrating things and I'll show my clients how to do something. And, and, you know, I'll look over and they're doing it differently and then I'll show them again and, you know, look over and they're doing it differently. And, and I think a lot of people, they won't, they won't do it. And they're afraid to ask, you know, cause they, they'll feel stupid or, or whatever, you know, if you're unsure, ask, but, you know, when, when I tell somebody, how to vertical jig, for instance. I'm very specific. You know, I'll tell them you don't, you're not jigging cod, so no eight foot high jigs, no giant jigs. You want to keep it to four foot or less. Now look over and there's six feet, six feet, six feet, and I'll say too much, too much. That's six feet. You want to go four feet, you know, and and I'll show them this is four feet. You know, your rod is seven feet, so you know you can kind of use that as a gauge. You know what seven feet looks like and go less than that. So definitely, you know, if you've hired a good guide, they they have that technique dialed in, and just you just do do what they tell you to do.
1: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think that's uh, good advice.
2: So. Some some guides are tellers though, you know. So I've I fished with guides that they just tell you what to do and expect you to understand how they're saying it. You know, that's why I show them. Like I'll I literally take the rod out of every client's hands when I get them on my boat and say, this is what you want to do. And I show it to them and I give it, and there, there's always resistance. Like I have to kind of take it away from them. I'm like, no, I'm going to show you. And I show them, I don't just say, you know, do this this way and expect them to understand you know, what I'm talking about. Because some of my clients don't even don't fish, you know, except maybe once or twice a year. So I don't know after what I'm talking about, you know, let it flutter down. They're like, how do I let it flutter down? I'm like, well, it's kind of doing it on its own, you know, so I'll show them. So that's, that's the big thing. And if you're ever on a guided trip and, and a guy is trying to explain something to you, best to just, just ask them to show you, show you, show me what you mean.
1: Yep. Let no, I, I think that's a great, great thing. Cause I, I've been on trips before. Uh, I went on a, a striper trip out of the, uh, the Susquehanna flats one time. And the guy basically just handed us the rods and said, Hey, uh, you know, he gave us a little bit of like, uh, kind of basic, you know, instruction, but it was literally, and then he went up and was just driving the boat and we're like, okay. And we really struggled. And obviously we didn't go back with that guide again um, because it, it just wasn't informative, but uh, I've had the exact opposite experience too, where, you know, the guide was really, really good and told us exactly what we're doing. He's like, all right, you're going to open the bail, let it drop to the bottom uh, crank up two cranks and then this is how you work it when you have it there, you know, and, yep. you know, you know, you can really tell the ones who who enjoy the teaching aspect of it, and you know, in addition to, you know, the other aspects of guiding. So, yeah, for sure. All right, man. Well, um, that was a ton of great info. So thanks a ton. Um, wanted to give you an opportunity to, to shout out to folks uh, where they can find you and also uh, any sponsors that you
2: have. Yeah. So I am on most social media channels and you can get to most of those through my website, which is Timmoreoutdoors.com. But I'm on, you know, Facebook and Instagram and my YouTube channel. I've been, you know, really putting a lot of efforts into that to try to come up with good content, which is TMO fishing uh, on YouTube. You can just uh, do a YouTube search for that. I'll um, give a shout out to Daiwa uh, Kittery Trading Post. They, they, I've sent a lot of people to their website recently to buy things that the the manufacturers don't seem to have, the ones that you can buy direct from, but Kerry will still have a lot of stuff that other manufacturers are out of. They seem to be able to keep a good stock of stuff and uh, definitely got to give a shout out to Old Town Canoes and Kayaks because it would be nowhere without them <laughs> for sure. They've been a huge help and the kayaks are amazing, so. They definitely you know. have
1: some, some cool kayaks, man. I, I've definitely, I I'm in a Hobie Outback right now, but I, I have looked at that autopilot. Uh, you know, I, uh, it looks totally like it would work perfect for some of the applications I fish. So. Unbelievable.
2: I love I'm a vertical jig fanatic and I just put out a second of two, well, a second of either three or four videos um, from last month. One of the marketing people from, uh, old town and i went to lake champlain jigging for lakers for four days and we had like 20 mile an hour winds most of the time we were there which doesn't seem like horrible amount until you get on a lake that's 125 miles long and you get 20 mile 15 20 mile an hour winds will cause you know three to four footer rollers right and we, were, we had a two knot current that's how much wind there was in the lake
1: oh my gosh
2: and we were in spot locks so definitely if you find my youtube vid, uh, channel check those couple of videos out there were a couple from last year too but the ones from this year are just like crazy weather and crazy fishing and those those things were the different there were no boats out there we were the only ones there were no boats there's you know charter boats all over that lake and there were no boats around us the whole time we were there but we were still be able to, to stay out there and fish so it was actually an advantage over the bigger boats because we could just kind of right over those swells and the spot lock held us right there all day long pretty
1: cool that's awesome no i'm definitely gonna uh have to check that out for sure so cool man um well thanks again um i am definitely interested uh, about having you back on to talk about tidal fishing because again that's something uh i definitely uh, it's a topic that i've had requests for and um something i know zero about um so if you're down for it sometime i'll reach back out and uh, see if we can have a chat about that
2: absolutely Love
1: awesome it. cool well thanks again sir and um everybody this has been the bass fishing for new segment on the paddle and pin podcast where we bring you the techniques the tricks and the tips to help you rip more lips thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next time